Hello, this is Derek Ray, and you're listening to Bavarian Podcast Works. Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of the Bavarian Podcast Work Show. Hello, everybody. We're recording this after, a day after at least, all of the Champions League matches from... I'm restarting this. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Bavarian Podcast Works Show. We are here after the fifth match day of the UEFA Champions League, right before Bayern plays Erbe Leipzig on the weekend. We will get to Leipzig. We will talk about how Bayern performed in the Champions League against Atletico Madrid, how everybody else in the Bundesliga competed in their games these last couple of days and then look forward to next week as well as probably just a little bit of banter because we're joined bleh, because we're joined by both Tom Adams and Chuck Smith today guys how are we doing it's a it's a Wednesday night uh Byron didn't play today so, so how how are we feeling on the on this fine day Jake, I'm doing great. I'm just happy to be back on the BPW airwaves with Tom and uh, and yourself there. So uh, glad to be able to connect with you guys, uh, see you guys over Skype and talk a little bit about Bayern Munich right now. 100% happy to be uh, on the pod again, happy to have Chuck back. So this pretty much is a guarantee. There's definitely going to be a lot of banter on this episode. Bayern looking good, Liverpool looking good, and Manchester United lost in the Champions League, so all is well in the world. Can it be well if the team that Man United lost to was PSG, Tom? Like, whose loyalties are we talking about here? Are we talking about loyalties to your sorry, sad team in Northern England, or are we talking about the good of football here? Who really won today? Well, when you're a fan of the team in red on Merseyside, Pretty much any time Everton or Manchester United loses, it's a good day. I'm trying to think of whether or not there are any other teams that wear red on Merseyside to come back with, and none are coming to mind. For some reason, I keep thinking like Stoke, but that's south of Manchester, so it's definitely not that. Anyways, this is going to be in a different format, so if you like this, let us know in the comments, both on Twitter, at Bavarian FB Works, or in the blog post about this, what you think of this format of dissecting games, because I think it's unfair to give Bayern's performance against Atletico a full review, a full critique, a full analysis, for this one reason only. Only two of Bayern's main starters from the last game against Stuttgart, only two out of the 11 were playing in Madrid at the Wanda Metropolitano on Tuesday night, right? It was Luca Hernandez and it was David Alaba. Everybody else was either on the bench, in the reserves, or on Etsy Bayern 2, right? If we're talking about one person and one person only, which, by the way, let's give some applause, give a shout-out to Bright Arian B making his debut for Bayern Munich, as well as Angelo Stiller making his UEFA Champions League debut for Bayern München. That's fantastic for both of them. So, the first half was all Atletico Madrid. I think we can both agree with that. And I think we might all agree on 
my pick for man of the match when I did match awards and say that the best player in this match was Joao Felix because even though he didn't really show up that much for the second half, his first half was so good that it put him over the top especially because he scored the first goal of the game, 26 minutes and a low cross off basically the end line from Marcos Llorente into Felix. It was a shot that Alexander Nubel would not have been able to save. It's a shot that Manuel Neuer probably wouldn't have been able to save either because he's not the best from short range. And that one was just served up right on a platter. I don't think even Emil Heskey could have been able to miss that shot from that close range. But... What we saw was Thomas Müller coming on along with Serge Gnabry and your boy Chuck, Chris Richards, coming on for Bunasar, who had a yellow card. Uh, Müller on for Javi Martinez and uh, Bright Arian B coming off at the 61st minute of his debut for Gnabry, as we mentioned. Jamal Musiala was probably the most consistent player throughout this entire game, which is very, very frightening. (laughs) If we're talking about Bayern Munich in the Champions League and saying that a 17-year-old is our most consistent player, which is not a knock against him. Props to Jamal Musiala. He had a fantastic game in midfield all day. But if he was your most consistent starter, how can you say that it's fair to overly critique this team? mattered it matters not 86th minute Thomas Müller gets tripped up in the box I couldn't tell if it was Felipe or if it was Mario Hermoso but either one of them tripped Thomas Müller in the box it was a clear penalty it was an obvious penalty the ref was right to award it Müller who is an experienced penalty taker in and of himself sends the ball to the left side of Jan Oblak, who guessed the right way, but Muller hit the shot too well. 1-1 was the score at that point, and that's how the match ended. So guys, this is the new format that I want to try. I have three observations, and I'm going to ask you your opinions on them, but I will allow for you guys to give us your thoughts on this game. Let's start with Tom. What did you think? Well, this is exactly what I expected it to be. Heavy rotations from Hansi Flick. We have a lot of guys that are kind of fringe players that don't really get a lot of time that were played in this one. I know in the in the build-up podcast for this, I didn't think Lewandowski was going to be arrested, but of course he was because I said that. Um, but as you mentioned, Atletico, they completely bossed the first half. I think we were maybe a little bit lucky to not have conceded more than one goal. Uh, this is the first time we kind of saw like that back three with the two wingbacks and Arian Bai and Buonasar. And I mean, listen, when are we ever going to see a midfield pivot of Martinez, Musiala, and with Douglas Costa and Leroy Sané ahead of them? You know, this you have to take it for what it was. Heavily rotated squad. Um, Alexander Nubel, it was good to see him uh, get some minutes in between the sticks. And I kind of agree with what he said post-match. You know, he was very real about it. This is a rotated side. We, you know, don't have a lot of repetitions with this starting 11 on the field. We were outplayed in large parts of the match. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we need need to be worked on with, with this unit, uh, especially if there's going to be other matches down the stretch, perhaps in the Pokal or um, in the maybe even the next match in the Champions League since we've already guaranteed first place and advancement out of Group A into the knockout stages. But I agree. He said there was a lot of instances where the space between uh, the back three and the midfield was just a little bit too much. And, 
you know, guys like Jao Felix, Carrasco, who I thought had excellent understanding between one another. Correa were just exposing that uh, to death in the first half. And Gnabry and Thomas Miller coming on in the second half completely changed the dynamic of the game. I think uh, Diego Simeone was kind of caught between two minds toward the end there about, you know, trying to really batten down the hatches and rest on that 1-0 lead. And then we got back into the game and they were pressing for a second goal. And now they're in a difficult position to get out of the group. They have to be RB Salzburg. So, you know, this was a good performance, a good point away from home. I don't really expect anything more. Yeah, I didn't have any problem with the way Hansi Flick approached the game. I mean, I expected him to heavily rotate. It was kind of interesting to see the players that he did use. I did not expect to see Ariam B come in. Uh, I would have preferred not to see Bunasar come in. <laughs> so I, I, I knew he was going to heavily rotate. It was interesting to see how those young players integrated with some of the veterans. Uh, obviously, the first half didn't really work out so well. But, I mean, if this game proved anything, it was the impact of Thomas Muller and what he brings to the table. Uh, the fact that he came in, re-energized the offense, and pretty much bossed the pitch from that point, I thought that was key. It was great to see. But this was a game where Hansi Flick knew he had to rest some players. I mean, obviously not bringing Goretzka, Lewandowski, or Neuer even on the trip. I mean, Flick knows he's at a point in the season where he has to get these guys some rest. Uh, he's got to maintain these players and keep them healthy for what's going to be a, a really tough stretch run starting in January. Uh, one thing that I thought was kind of irritating and it's kind of been bothering me a little bit is the, the lack of contributions that we're starting to see uh, from players like Leroy Sané, uh, I expected a lot more out of him. Now, granted, I don't think he had the best service in the game. I don't think that the players behind him were able to facilitate and get him the ball as much as he probably would have liked. But this was a game where I expected him to really show up and take charge and display his talent. And I really don't think he was able to do that. Uh, you know, players like Saar, Douglas Costa, uh, Chupo Moting they haven't performed. So uh, this was interesting to see. And I think it gives Flick a good idea of what he's working with for the rest of the season. And and just looking at these substitutes and seeing what they need to improve in their respective games to be ready for the stretch run of the season. Yeah, Chuck, you mentioned Sané, that chance he had in the first half. That thing went into orbit. That <laughs> yeah. has to be on target. He <laughs> was in plenty of space on the edge of the box, and that's got to be on target from him. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's kind of funny because I, I don't want to railroad him too much. I think he's, you know, obviously a good signing. Uh, I would like to see more out of him, but – it's just disappointing me at this stage that he's not coming into a game and taking it over when he's given the opportunity. So, I mean, as of right now, I don't have a problem with Hansi Flick using Kingsley Coman and Serge Gnabry as his two top shelf wingers. That's kind of where I was about to go with my very first observation, right? The first observation is going to be about the attack. Um, it's a two-parter, Right. The first observation of my two-part attacking thing was about Leroy Sané, right? And it's that Robert Lewandowski, if he's not on the pitch, the attack is screwed. Sané had an entire game where he should have been able to take it up to another level, ratchet it up to another level, and really become a leader in terms of the attack, right? And I'm not saying that this one game is the be-all, end-all for his Bayern career and whether or not he can be a fantastic forward 
going forward, for lack of a better phrase. But I'll extend it to beyond Leroy Sané. Serge Gnabry did not have a great game either. He put up one shot in his entire time substituted in, right? Some will argue, you know, it's he got brought in in the 60th minute. He only had 30 minutes to play with, and I can understand that, but at the same time, right? Next to Leroy Sané, he's the second best attacker on the field. Like, he has to be producing more. He has to put up more than the one shot that he did that was a good-looking shot. Uh, I will say that. It looked a lot better than Leroy Sané's one shot that he had in the first half. But I'll even extend it to this. I think what we saw in attack was not only that, but that Bayern's second-choice striker has to be Joshua Xerxes from now on. Because as much as we all love John Dillon and everything that he does, Eric Maxim Chupomoting is not it. Like, I think he might be more serviceable as a backup number 10 to Thomas Muller than he is an out-and-out striker. He's the kind of striker that would probably need some help from people because I think he only put two or three shots on net all game. And that's concerning. <laughs> It's very concerning on my part. And even more so that when Josh Xerxes came on in the 86th minute, it was for Douglas Costa, not for Eric Maxim Chupomoting. And that's concerning to me. And I'll, I'll even add the best forward player in this game was Douglas Costa. And I'm concerned about that. So... I'm very concerned about that, and I think I'm very right to be concerned about that. So, guys, let let me just boil these points down, right? First point, Lewandowski is the clear leader of the attack, and if he's not in, the other more experienced players won't be able to pick up the slack. That's part one. Part two is that Joshua Xerxes is a better striker as of now, than a more experienced veteran in Eric Maxim Chupomoting. So let's start with Chuck, and then we'll go to Tom. Yeah, Jake. So I will part ways on the Xerxes uh, selection there. I have not been a fan of what I've seen from him uh, going back to the end of last season. I don't like his spacing. I don't like his movement. I don't like his lack of physicality up front. Byron has a real problem in backing up Robert Lewandowski. I think that we all kind of thought Chupo Moteng would come in and he would be just a solid serviceable backup that would be able to just come in and not dominate, but at least be able to create some offense. And to this point, he really hasn't been able to do that. And when you look at it, the reason that he's even here is because Bayern Munich has no faith that Joshua Xerxes is ready to assume that role. So I think that there should be legitimate concern on your end from that. Uh, the other point that I thought you brought up that was interesting was about Douglas Costa because he has not been good either. Uh, another one of those late transfers that came in, he's got tremendous individual skill. Uh, he still holds the ball too long, which was something we saw in his first tenure here. And I just don't think, you know, he's anything more than a fourth winger at this stage, which brings me to who the best winger on the team is and has been. And I don't even think it's a question anymore. It's Kingsley Coman. He's better than Serge Gnabry right now. He's better than Leroy Sané right now. 
He's been aggressively attacking the net, using his speed, using his footwork. He's getting in crosses. And he's always been disruptive. But it seems like since they brought Sané in, he's raised his level of play. And you guys know, I, I going back to the summer, I was concerned that if you brought Sané in, it meant that Kingsley Coman was going to look at this situation, situation just want to leave. That, you know, he's a first-class winger. He should be starting somewhere. And I didn't think he would accept a backup role. Well, I was right. He's not accepting a backup role. He's taken the starter's role right from Leroy Sané. So I'm really excited about what I've seen from Coman and what he's doing. But Jake, everything you said about your concerns about the lack of production up front when Robert Lewandowski is not in, it, you're 100% dead on. Chupo Moting, Joshua Xerxy, Douglas Costa, they're not producing right now. And in the end, that's their job. So I think Hansi Flick is going to have to look at these performances and he's really going to have to assess how he can move forward and get production out of that backup unit. So I can kind of holistically try and tie those two questions together, you know, putting on my former, you know, collegiate and player shoes all through my life. You know, there's certain players that you would have in your squad. Uh, myself, I was always either a center midfielder or a, a winger or a wing back. Uh, there's just certain players you have in the squad where if you know uh, they're on the pitch, you don't even really have to speak to them. You know exactly where they're going to be. You know their mannerisms. You know uh, their tendencies on the pitch. Um, you just you know what they're going to do. You know where they're going to be. For me, especially the past two seasons, um, I think three of those guys are Thomas Muller, Leon Goretzka, Joshua Kimmich. Uh, and so for me, you know, when we're talking about Douglas Costa, Leroy Sané, uh, Chapo Moatang, it, it's difficult for me to not give them the benefit of the doubt. Personally, I feel from Sané's perspective, there's a little bit of frustration kind of looking at the team selection. He's like, oh, God, I'm one of the guys that's going in in the starting 11 with the B team, you know, in a match that's essentially pointless when we've already qualified for the next round and we've already clinched the top spot in the group. And Maybe a little, a little bit of the same from Douglas Costa, though I think with his transfer here, it was a little bit uh, different of a situation. I think he knew he was going to be a bit part player. But for all those guys I just mentioned, it's so difficult to judge. I mean, especially when they're out there with different units. There's not a lot of time between matches at Sabanerstrasse on this training pitch where they can get a lot of time playing together in the scrimmages that they do. So it's just, it's such a, just watching the, the game on TV, you would never really... Uh, pick up on it maybe it's a, it's a thing where if you've played you understand it if you never played at like a at least a collegiate level or a, you know a premier level you don't really think about it as much but especially for uh, Chapo Moatang I mean he's been out with different units every time he's gotten a, an, an appearance you know he's not gonna necessarily know where Gnabry's gonna be or Coman's gonna be or Musiala's gonna be where Muller's gonna be uh, whoever is behind him or on either side of him. So it's difficult for him to really catch a beat. Uh, against Atletico, I, I did think uh, he was a little uh, lacking. I, I think with his playing style, he sometimes seems to rely on his physicality a bit more than other attributes that maybe we would want to see. Um, it, it just looks like he's so much of a different player than he was at PSG. Granted, he has Di Maria, Kylian Mbappe, and Neymar on either side of him. It's completely different when you're when you're coming to a new setup and uh, when you're constantly switching who you're out there on the pitch with. It, it's never, never easy. I can speak first-handedly from that. You know, if I had certain wingers in front of me that were a little too cute on the ball, took way too many touches, and I'm bombing forward, 
and they lose the ball, I'm sprinting my ass back and I'm the one getting chewed out for not being back uh, on time. So, yes, it's completely different. I've never got anywhere near the level of players that any of these Bayern players are, but I just kind of look at it through that lens and, you know, it's one of those things to be a fly on the wall or pitch or grass at Sabiner Strasse to see what goes on in these training sessions. And I have to agree. I mean, there's no winger on the team right now that's in better form than Kingsley Coman. And I personally think that might be getting uh, to, to Sané a little bit. You know, he was supposed to be the star man, the big transfer. And it took, what, 50,000 years <laughs> what it felt like for him to actually become a Bayern player. Uh, so I think he's a little bit irritated to be thrown in with the, the, the quote-unquote B-side uh, in a game that's merely a consolation. But I would love to for that competition to light a fire under him and you know really see him and Coman and Gnabry uh, really battle it out for those top spots on the wings. Yeah, Tom, I don't think we're, any of us are bashing Leroy Sané. I mean, he's been generally productive overall this season, but... I mean, that's a game against Atletico Madrid. You would have liked to see him take over, and it didn't seem like he was interested or capable of doing it in that style of game. So I think that'll be interesting to watch going forward, you know, seeing how Flick manages that trio of wingers. Well, yeah, that was my point. I mean, do you think he's a little irked to be out there uh, with the B side instead of, you know, being a bona fide starter? Okay, he's a starter. I'm going to rest him for Leipzig. Yeah, I mean, I get that part of it, but like he was brought here to be the wing savior and, you know, he should be out there saving. I mean, he should be out there producing. And and to me, whether he's out with the B side or whether he's out with Lewandowski and Muller, he should be out as the lead man. I mean, that's the way he was billed. And I, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily buy into some of the criticism that he's had about his about his mentality in the past. You know, I think he has a fresh start here. But, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen more out of him. I'm very interested now to see how he performs in his next outing. So let me put this to you guys. I came up with another question while I was sitting here listening to you two talking uh incessantly and uh tom i'll say this to you don't don't put yourself and your playing career down i imagine that if you worked hard enough you'd be able to break into the first team of a german team in the fifth division but i hope they're i hope they're listening maybe they can find highlights somewhere (laughs) let's make it happen let's get this campaign going Let's get this kid into starting 11 in, like, some small, crappy little town in, like, Baden-Württemberg or anywhere like yeah, that. Let's do but it. allow me to posit this question to you guys. You've done a little bit of Sané bashing, which it may or may not be warranted, right? So let's say this. I think we are all in agreement that as of right now, Kingsley Coman is the most in-form winger on our team. And then we can also add that Douglas Costa is the least in-form winger on our team. Those middle two, Leroy Sané and Serge Gnabry, haven't had the best starts to their campaign. So I'm going to put this question to you guys for bashing Leroy Sané. Who do you think is the number two winger on this team? Do you think it's Sané or do you think it's Gnabry? I have my own opinions, but I'll go last with that one and then transition into our next question. But I just want to hear Jake, that. would you say right now or overall? Right now, currently. Because overall is a completely different question, and it's up to debates and incorrect FIFA ratings. But we can debate that for a while. What I'm talking about is in terms of right now. Well, 
who do you think is the number two striker? Because they've had comparable performances over the last couple of games. Okay, so I have my take on that. But, Chuck, I'll actually let you go first because mine kind of has a twist on it. Yeah, no problem. I'll, I'll make mine quick. I, I actually think it's Sané right now. Uh, as much as I like Serge Gnabry, I don't think he's been in top form. Uh, right now, I think Sané is a little more dangerous. I want to see him a little more invested into the games that he gets into. So, And, I, and Tom, I think you're you're right in this respect with Sané is that I think when he came here, he expected to be on the field for every game and not have to really compete for that spot. And what's happening now is that Kingsley Coman has, has taken the reins there, and now he's looking across the field and seeing Serge Gnabry, and that's two German players competing essentially for the number two spot right now, and I don't think he was quite prepared for that. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, one thing I just kind of remembered – uh, that I didn't really say in that last weekend. So, you know, he's had a lot of different uh, defensive lineups behind him as well, which can affect things too. You know, ever since, I, so ever since I've been a part of uh, BFW and going back a little bit further into my Bayern fandom, to me, one of the things I always think about is the constant understanding that Franck Ribéry and David Alaba had when they both played on that on that left flank. You know, they always just knew where each other was going to be. They had brilliant overlapping runs, brilliant connection. And right now I can't really say... Uh, there's anyone on the Bayern team that's yes it's a different season everything's so truncated you have to make rotations but right now it doesn't seem like there's anyone on on the Bayern team that has that same level of understanding with one another except maybe Kimmich and Goretzka because that's they're pretty much the greatest dual midfield pivot in the world right now no questions you can't even doubt that Um, but Chuck to answer that the one reason why I maybe wouldn't say uh, Leroy Sané right now and that's why I asked Jake about right now uh, or overall I would still go with uh, Gnabry, and I know I might get some flack with that, but this is just knowing I remember it being sat right here in the same spot with, with both of you guys last season where we were discussing just a complete rut that uh, that Gnabry was going through. I believe it was right after the Bundesliga restart, if I recall correctly. Chuck, you can correct me because I'm pretty sure you were the one kind of spearheading those discussions. You know, He didn't really quite hit his full stride uh, in the first couple of weeks after the, the Bundesliga resumed after being... Uh, paused for nearly two months but the reason I say that is you know he'll always come in and do a job yes he might not have the best game every now and then he might be a little bit slow with his decision making but it's just the fact that I know that he can go through a spell like that and then pop up with an absolute worldie of a game uh, like he did uh, in the Champions League for us um, once we got to August you know, uh, against Lyon, especially I, I think about that game because before that, I think we all know Lyon were really the better team until Gnabry scored. And in my mind, I'm just thinking of matches like that where he's one of the guys I, I think maybe where it's not the same with Sané. Sané, I feel mentally if he's having a poor game because I don't want to say the word ego. That sounds a little bit too negative, but it seems like it might eat away at him more. Uh, than it would Gnabry. If Gnabry's having a bad game, I never will write him off to just completely turn it around and do something absolutely magical for us and you know, completely flip a match on its head. So for that reason, I will stick to my guns and say Gnabry. Um, but, you know, I would love to be completely wrong and, you know, have Gnabry be average and have Sané uh, be completely amazing for the next couple of weeks. I mean, that's the, the luxury and the benefit of having this argument is if we're wrong, it means that somebody else is doing well, and that's fine. Just put that person on, on the pitch when they're doing well, and you know the results will come. Here's my opinion on this matter. I 
I'm going to agree with Chuck and say that Leroy Sané is the second best as of right now. And I think it's a bit unfair to fully compare uh, Serge Gnabry's performance from last year to his performance from this year, but I'm going to do it anyways. Serge Gnabry last year was a critical part of this wing, and I think even going into this year, he had an idea that he wasn't going to be really challenged for his position, that... He was guaranteed starting time because of how well he played in the Champions League, how well he played in the restart of the Bundesliga, uh, like towards towards the end of that phase. And now he's brought Sané into the conversation in terms of who should be starting. I think Sané hasn't done much to convince Hansi that he deserves starting time. But Serge has made it easier for Sané to make that a debate. His performances have started to regress to the point that Hansi is probably now considering putting Sané in more often. And I'll also say this, I still don't believe we have seen the full Leroy Sané that this team needs, right? Am I the only one that feels that Sané during that entire game was waiting for Robert Lewandowski to come onto the field and make a smart run because that's not the Leroy Sané that I knew from Manchester City. The Leroy Sané I knew from Man City was creative. He knew he had fantastic teammates, but he also could create on his own. He could work his way into the box. He could take fantastic shots. He could be creative with his feet and intelligent in his passes, but this Leroy Sané that we have seen almost seems reserved and holding back to be more part of a team, which, I mean, we're a German team, so of course we're always going to appreciate somebody that works for the benefit of the team rather than himself. But in a game like Atleti, when you are the best attacking player on the pitch, I don't care if you are on the wings or in the middle. If you are the best player, you should be trying to score a bulk of goals. Right, But it almost seemed like every single time Sané had a ball down in the box or around the final third that he was waiting for somebody else to make a run even though he had a couple of opportunities open for him to make a move or take a touch or dribble around somebody. He was waiting for somebody to come in and make that effort so that he could get the assist. I want to see a more vicious Leroy Sané, right? I'm not saying that he's a bad player. I'm not saying that him trying to be a team player and pass it is a bad thing or off of his game. But especially when you are the best player on a B side, prove that you are the best player on a B side if you're an attacking player. Go out and score a goal. Make that effort. Don't be cutesy and kind of shoot it from outside the box and then kick it out of the stadium and into the Mediterranean Sea. Just go ahead and be the best player on the field and show us that you're worth the $50 million that we paid you for. I'm not saying he doesn't have time to go ahead and do that, but last night, he didn't really seem like the best attacking player. And it's a shame that I have to say that that was Douglas Costa, because if Douglas Costa is the best player in our attack, that team has a problem. That team has a setup problem. But again, 
none of the starters really started that game. Yeah, Jake, it's funny. Like when when you're talking about Sané in that way, I mean, I'm just thinking of him week one against uh, Schalke. Just he looked like he was just having fun. I mean, it is Schalke. Chuck and I could probably lace up and go out there and look like superstars against Schalke. Um, you know, and maybe if the right people listen to this podcast episode and I get recruited for some uh, dry league team, that could happen because I'll definitely recommend Chuck. Um, and we could hang out with uh, Fida Arp and open our burger stalls with uh, Nicolas Sula, start our own side business. But to your point, Jake, if I'm looking at him uh, from week one, the runs he was making, the understanding he had with uh, Goretzka, Thomas Muller up front, even um, you know with Joshua Kimmich with some of the runs he was making, those diagonal balls, I'm pretty sure that's how he scored one of his goals and all the assists he had in that game. And looking at him last night, it is night and day. Part of me, you know, I, I oftentimes forget against that horrid result against Hoffenheim, the 4-1, he did get injured in that game. I wonder how much of that is still playing uh, on his fitness level, and perhaps that's part of the reason why um, we don't see him go a full 90 minutes very often, uh, in addition to the form of Kingsley Coman and, you know, the other guys that are in and around him. But um, you, you definitely make a, a, a very good point, and a game like yesterday, you would really want to see him take it by the scruff of the neck and be that superstar and just say, look, okay, I might be with the B side. I might be a little pissed off that I'm in this situation instead of, you know, with the team of starters that's being rested for a very, very big Bundesliga match. But you know what? I don't care. Team pride, the badge on the front always matters more than the name on the back. I know the saying because we also have our the name of our team on the back of our jerseys, but you know what the expression means and uh, Jake, to your point, I, I was expecting a lot more from him. And we shouldn't forget that Sané just also came under some criticism from Hansi Flick last week where, you know, Flick opened up to the media a little bit about, you know, Sané losing too many balls, not tracking back hard enough on on defense. So maybe that played a role into uh, Sané's confidence level as well. I think we could talk about who's a better winger all day, but I'm going to cut it off here. Um I'm going to quickly wrap up our final two points. They're both midfielders, so I guess this would help. Uh, point number two, observation number two, uh, Thomas Miller proved himself to be the most important player on this Bayern team by far and away because I, I'm i of the opinion that if you put Robert Lewandowski on the pitch, it probably still could have ended 1-0, but putting Thomas Miller on that pitch made it a 1-1. And then my third point is that I was impressed by Jamal Musiala, but his performance was more like a Tiago than it was a Thomas Muller in that he didn't create chances, but he pushed tempo and moved the ball up the pitch. Uh, Tom, let's go uh, quickly with your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, 100%. The more I watch Musiala, the more I'm, I'm very, very impressed with him. I mean... He's actually played a number of different positions, Jake. And as you mentioned, last night against Atletico Madrid was kind of more of a deeper-lying midfield role, as we speculated might happen when we were uh, doing our Dare Ausblick segment. And it's nice to see the fact that such a young guy, he has absolutely no problems or no fears trying to dribble around guys like Coque, Llorente, Carrasco, Jimenez, Hermosa. He was just doing it all and, and really trying to find those passing channels, a la Thiago, as you said. And, you know, I like him on the wing as well. He's a very brave, uh, very, very 
fearless player, a kind of uh, never say die, nothing to lose type attitude. And I'm very excited to see how he continues to grow. And it's interesting what you were saying about Mueller. I think it's blatantly obvious to anybody who watched this match uh, when him and Gnabry came on, the complexion of the game completely changed. And obviously he's the reason we walked away from uh, Madrid with a point uh, instead of nothing. Uh, and it's funny because I think he personally was coming off of one of his weaker games in the Bundesliga against Stuttgart. But you know what? You know, as a fan of the Bundesliga and the Premier League, him like getting that uh, cold, wet night in Stoke quote wrong. <laughs> and I think he almost comically did it on purpose, completely redeemed uh, the lackluster performance that I thought he had in Stuttgart. Uh, but to be f to his credit, I think that was one of the rare instances where he didn't put his uh, his best foot forward or that might not even be the best expression I just don't think it was one of his best games but I mean the Stuttgart pitch Chuck you might be able to say something about the grass there I mean it was like the freaking walking wounded they definitely might have done that on purpose to try and just hamper us but I mean guys were just hitting the deck left and right yeah, that certainly was not an award-winning pitch at Stuttgart. And you're right, Tom. Muller had he did not have one of his best games. And Jake, you're right in that he showed exactly why he's so important in the Atletico Madrid game. So I don't think anyone could dispute that. I think you guys are both making that segment of the BFW community, the hashtag Muller Mafia, very happy with what you just said. And I wouldn't disagree with any of it. As for Musiala... Uh, yeah, he's got some great attacking moves. And, Tom, I like the way he's looked at wing. I think he's got a lot of Kingsley Coman in him in that he has such quick feet. He's not afraid to take anyone on and, and work out wide. But uh, I know most of his experience has been playing centrally. So it'll be interesting to see how Flick continues to use him over the course of the season. He's definitely a player we should be excited about. And we'll see how he grows and see how his game expands over the course of the year. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about how the other German teams fared in the UEFA Champions League and then look ahead to Leipzig. Stay tuned. And we're back and we're here to talk about more about the German performances in the Champions League. Let's start about the other game played on Tuesday, uh, featuring a German team. 3-2 win for Inter Milan over Borussia Mönchengladbach. This one just hurt <laughs> because if you weren't aware, there was a goal by Alessandro de Plea around the 80th minute mark, in between minutes 80 and 90, uh, that should have been counted as a goal. But there was a player called offside, the argument was that he was directly interfering with the goalkeeper, and that is bullshit. Because he was standing to the right side of the goalkeeper, the shot came from directly in front of the goalkeeper, uh, he was probably more blocked by the two Inter Milan players standing in front of him, blocking his vision, than... I think it was Brielle Mbolo that was standing offside. I think those two defenders in front of him probably did more to prevent... Um, I imagine it was Handanovic in goal. Uh, yeah, Handanovic. It was probably those two defenders that hindered his vision more than Brielle Mbolo did. But regardless, uh, the referee went to VAR and he said he was offside, and Inter ends up walking out winning this game, setting up 
possibly the most insane final day for a group in the Champions League. Group B, every team, Mönchengladbach, Shakhtar Donetsk, Real Madrid, and Inter Milan, all have the potential to qualify for the knockout stages. That is a crazy prospect for me to even consider, especially because it might mean the outcome we all want, which is Real Madrid in the Europa League. I am very much looking forward to this following week, except for the fact that it's Mönchengladbach at Madrid, which would suck under normal circumstances, but these are not normal circumstances. So, Guys, I'm not even going to ask you like in terms of what you thought about this game because it was on before the Bayern or at the same time the Bayern game was. So, who do you think is actually going to win that? Real or Mönchengladbach? And then even add on to that who you think are going to advance out of uh, out of this group. Tom, you can start out with this one. I I mean, I I'm having trouble processing this because it's Madrid. <laughs> well, so I'll put myself out there. I'll get stick from my Liverpool fandom. Obviously, if you've been looking at the VAR charts from the Premier League this season, Liverpool have the most decisions against them uh, by a long, long stretch, which included this weekend. Again, Mo Salah was basically offside by like uh, a millimeter of his armpit hair, apparently. You know, we're sitting here discussing team team crests and, and shirt sleeves, and the same thing happened to Aston Villa, which, yes, did affect my beloved fantasy Premier League team, which I was not happy about at all, and I hate West Ham too. So VAR just keeps getting better and better. Jake, you are absolutely right. That was a terrible, disgraceful, disgusting decision, and I really, really wonder who they have working uh, in these video assist replay booths. I'd really be curious to see like an unsolved mysteries or like a like a dateline NBC with Stone Phillips or whatever, like investigating who's who's making these decisions because it just when I think it, it can't befuddle me anymore, I watch a match the next weekend and it and it just does. And the streak continues. So because of that, um I feel Munchen Gladbach were robbed a bit. Uh, while I do think Inter Milan played very, very well in that game, you're never going to hear me say anything positive about Real Madrid. So I'm going to say Minchin Gladbach, pull it out, uh, and Inter Milan get get the business done uh, on the business end against uh, Donetsk, despite how uh, you know admirable Donetsk have played. And they've showed Madrid are completely beatable in Madrid. So Minchin Gladbach and Inter on to the knockouts. My, my prediction preseason was for Inter and Real to go through, and I don't think I've ever, ever wished I would be more incorrect than for this game, because dear lord, just please, please knock Real Madrid out. Oh my god, I would want nothing more in this world than to see every Real Madrid fan sad and squandering in the Europa League, because you know that's Sevilla's competition anyway, and they would probably not do well in it. But let's move on quickly to the least important game that happened. Borussia Dortmund. Oh, wait. What? Chucky, I, I thought we were going to hear Chuck's predictions. I want to hear what this man has to say about this. I, I will tell you that I think as much as you don't want to hear it, Madrid is going to be. Don't you say it. Back. Don't do it. Uh, I, I can't. And they're going to go through, and, and it's going to devastate me, but that's what's going if to happen. You I, want, I, I, oh, if you want to no. blame anybody, it's Chuck. It's all his fault. 
<laughs> I won't even blame anybody on Munchen Gladbach. I don't care if Jan Solmer has a howler. I don't care if Florian Newhouse gives away a pass. <laughs> it is Chuck's fault. We will all blame him, and we will shame him from now until the end of time. <laughs> Remember that. Dortmund drew Lazio 1-1. It didn't really particularly matter. Dortmund are through. Uh, they have Zenit St. Petersburg to play next. As of now, looking at their table and their group, Zenit are dead last, and it's really just a battle between Lazio and Club Bruges. Whoever gets the better result from that moves on. Um, if you guys have any particular thoughts on this game, uh, you can air them out. Oh, VAR again, man. What was that Lazio penalty? That was like theatrics 101. Why? Why? Oh, that wasn't a penalty. I'll make. <laughs> I'll, I'll, for those that haven't seen it, I don't know who the Dortmund defender was. I don't know who the Lazio player was. A Dortmund defender poked a ball free beautifully, left his leg out there because, you know, if you're lunging for a tackle to poke the ball free, that happens, right? The Lazio player was like a step or two behind that tackle. That Lazio player ran into the Dortmund player's leg fell over it and it was called a penalty and then Lazio scored it never to draw the pen, game man never a pen that's a stupid decision that's a big dumb decision by that referee whoever saw that on VAR and said that was a penalty should have their license revoked good lord that was a and bad it gave call. him Mobley uh, another penalty goal what was it last season or two seasons ago he was the only one ahead of Lewandowski and total goals because of freaking penalties probably because of many many instances like that yeah i mean this is another one i, I i'm gonna go with lazio going through just because zero immobile will probably score against club bruges uh i, I honestly don't even care who goes through, but it'll be Lazio. I was just disappointed today to see Matt's almost go down. I know it's not supposed to be serious for Dortmund, but uh, I would have liked to have seen them with a little better luck with their health, considering Erling Haaland is also uh, expected to miss the rest of this uh, calendar year. So uh, we'll go with Dortmund and Lazio. Was it a hamstring as well for Hummels, Chuck? I don't know. I know that he came out and they immediately took him uh, to get examined. And the last thing I saw was that it was not expected to be serious and that he would probably miss this weekend. Yeah. So he had that, that hamstring issue from uh, against Bielefeld and he was rushed back for Der Klassiker, if I recall correctly. Yeah, that, sound, that sounds right, Tom. One thing I'll say before I move on to the next team. I'm a massive Gio Reyna fan. But if Lucien Favre starts Gio Reyna over Jaden Sancho and leaves Jaden Sancho on the bench for the third match in a row, I'm going to fly to Dortmund and slap that man in the face. Because good lord, he is your best player on your team. You have the worst team in Manchester trying to buy him for over 100 million euros. Why don't you play him in the game? Why is he starting on the bench? You Bad manager, you terrible, terrible manager. I hope Mauricio Pochettino comes in and makes your team better because, God, who does that? Who leaves the best player on the bench? If Robert Lewandowski went three matches non-starting, 
unless he was injured, I would beg for the board to fire Hansi Flick because nobody does that to their best player. Who, what kind of idiot does that? Lucien Favre, that's your answer. Let's talk about the final team that played this weekend, or this week. RB Leipzig won 4-3 over Istanbul Basakşehir. Um, thanks to a uh sorry, not a Yusuf Polson, uh, a Polson assisted goal from Alexander Sorloff in the 90th plus two minutes to break a tie and win it for three. Now, this is also one of those uh, tables where multiple teams could advance. Man U, PSG, and Leipzig are all tied on points. Man United and Leipzig is the final day matchup. Oh boy, that is a great final day matchup. Um, I don't exactly recall. Give me 0.2 seconds to find out uh, what their... Oh, God. Their last result was a 5-0 win for, like, for uh, Man United at Old Trafford. So this one in East Germany should be a lot of fun. But before we get to that... Let's talk about the game that they face at the weekend against Bayern München. A battle between number one and number two in the Bundesliga tables. This should be a fun one. This should be one we are all watching out for. A couple of facts on Leipzig. Their top scorer is Angelino, who is a left back. That is almost sacrilege. Like, oh my god. I understand that losing Timo Werner was bad. But Angelino is their top striker, or their top goal scorer, and that is insane. I will give some applause to Yusuf Polson for being better than he was last year. Seven games, three goals is fantastic. Uh, Alexander Sorloth, yet to score in the Bundesliga. Kevin Kampel, yet to score in the Bundesliga. Danny Olmo, yet to score in the Bundesliga. Tyler Adams, Benjamin Henricks, Nordi Mukiele, uh, Lazar Samarzic, Justin Kluivert. None of them have been able to score. You know who has been able to score? Dio Upamakano, Vili Orban, Ibrahimo Konate, and Marcel Halstenberg. All of them are defenders. And their number one goal scorer is a defender. Their leading assister is Danny Olmo, and that makes sense. But what doesn't make sense is that Marcel Halstenberg has only played five matches in the Bundesliga. That doesn't make sense, but I trust Julian Nagelsmann more than I trust Lucien Favre. Um, after that, tied for second are a bunch of people that have one assist, right? So Sorloth has an assist. Mugiele, Yusuf Polson, Marcel Halstenberg, Lazar Samardzic, um, Emil Forsberg, Angelino again, and Christopher Nkuku. Um... This team that used to be overly reliant on young attacking talent has become overly reliant on young defensive talent, and it has not served them well, I would think. If they're second place, I mean, that means that's always good, but this is going to come down to like that age-old baseball question, what's better in the postseason, pitching or hitting? And there's never really a right answer because better pitching can work in some cases unless you're playing against a team that only hits ground balls. Uh, and better hitting will always work good unless you're the Yankees and 
you are facing like Zach Granke or something like that. But what do you think is going to win out here, guys? The defense of Leipzig or the offense of Bayern Munich? I think the offense of Bayern Munich is is definitely going to win out in this one. I really like Leipzig. I really admire the job that Julian Nagelsmann has done this year. Obviously, losing Timo Werner, it, it, it crippled their offense, but it just shows you how brilliant he is as a coach in that he's extracting so much out of so many different players, and they're finding ways to win without really having that one go-to offensive player that they can rely on every game. So as good as they've played, part of me also wonders, are they going to kind of look past the importance of this one Bundesliga game and maybe have an eye toward that matchup with Manchester United that could push them through in the Champions League? To me, that's the most fascinating part of this match. How will Julian Nagelsmann manage his lineup against Bayern Munich, and will he sit anyone that, that could help him in this game? I agree. Julian Nagelsmann has done a fantastic job with this group, but you know, stability has certainly been an issue in, the, in this truncated season where with so many English weeks, you know, it's very difficult to balance, even with such a young squad. Uh, I know that both Klosterman and Halstenberg at different points of the season have been dealing with injuries as well as Vili Orban. Uh, Marcel Sabitzer didn't come back into the squad until a few weeks into the Bundesliga season, so he was a huge miss uh, the first couple weeks as well as uh, ML Forsberg. Uh, Danny Olmo, I think, took a little a little while to really come to fruition. And Chuck, let's be honest. I mean, this team is just not the same without Timo time. And, you know, it definitely didn't help losing Patrick Schick to Bayer Leverkusen either. And I know I tweeted it the other week. It's just like Timo time in Germany was infinitely more fun than it is in England. And, you know, it, I just cringe when I watch him miss opportunities and go for long stretches without a goal or an assist uh, for Frank Lampard's men. And, you know, whatever Leipzig make or whatever Leipzig loses in consistency, for me, honestly, they just make up for with the uh, the fashion choices of Julian Nagelsmann. I mean, the man just exudes boldness and confidence on the sidelines for those Champions League matches. I believe today he was rocking like a, uh, a turtleneck with, with like a brown peacoat over it. So, you know, I really wonder, it, against Man United, it's all going to come down to what Nagelsmann chooses to wear on the sideline. And, you know, the cameras will certainly be ready for that uh, in, in Leipzig. Let's get a quick scoreline prediction from everybody. I'm feeling a 3-2. I don't know. I have a feeling that Leipzig are going to come out invigorated. And I think they're probably going to put a lot into this match uh, to prove to themselves that they can overcome the odds and use that as a confidence booster to go into that game with Man United. So 3-2 to Bayern would be my final score for this one. Tom, let's hear yours. I'm going to go with 2-0 to Bayern. I think we're going to we're going to keep one of those coveted clean sheets. Um just as we were talking about before, I I think uh, Leipzig's biggest deficiency is a lack of stability and uh the lack of creativity going forward. Um and for whatever reason I just have it in my mind that they're going to have just another uh miss a la Timo Werner last year in the nil-nil. Uh, in the Rook Runda. I'm sure Chuck remembers that effort. I do, and, and people love to remind me of it. Chuck, why don't you hit us with another 3-1? <laughs> like I know that you're I am absolutely do. going with the 3-1. I think that Arbe, Arbe Leipzig is going to find a way to put one in the net, but 
So will Robert Lewandowski, and he'll probably end up with a brace. Not sure who else from Bayern will add the third goal, but uh, I do expect Bayern to come out, play really well. I'm not going to say they're going to dominate, but they're clearly going to be the better team. And I think it'll partly be because RB Leipzig is going to be looking ahead at Manchester United. Well, that is going to wrap it up for this week. Thank you all for listening. Please be sure to like, rate, share, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else that you get your quality audio content. Follow us on Twitter at BavarianFBWorks, at The Barrel Blog, at TommyAdams71, and at Jefferson Fenner. Follow us on Twitch at BavarianFIFAWorks. Every day at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, we will be doing our Strasse to Glory with Erste FC Kaiserslautern until I inevitably get fired from Kaiserslautern, and then I'm going to have to pick another club because Kaiserslautern are bad. Very, very bad. But until next time when... I don't know if we'll be putting out an episode for this Champions League match because, in fairness, Bayern are pretty set through. They won the group, um, and they're playing Lock Moscow. So that should be kind of fun, but not terribly uh, terrifying, at least from a Bayern standpoint. But we'll figure it out. We'll see you guys later. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the game. Auf Wiedersehen.